Specialty Stories is part of the MedEd Media Network at mededmedia.com. This is Specialty Stories, session number 15. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your career or your specialty, whichever one. Welcome back. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, the host of Specialty Stories. I also host several other podcasts. If you haven't heard of those, go to mededmedia.com. That's M-E-D-E-D media.com. Today, I have an awesome guest who joined me on his phone while he was sitting in the dark because the power was out at his house in Atlanta. And we're going to talk all about interventional radiology. My name is Fayaz Barotawala. I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm an interventional radiologist. How long have you been practicing? So I finished fellowship in 2005. So what, about a dozen years almost. Okay. When did you know you wanted to be an interventional radiologist? Um, I think I put it back to a day in my third year of medical school, and I remember this because I, I went through a lot of things. When I was when I was young, I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. When I was like a little kid, I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. And then I remember I went through a phase where I wanted to do cardiovascular surgery, and then I remember talking to several of them, and people like, you know, we never see them they're never at home i was like you know that's crazy you can never have a you know it would be very hard to have a lifestyle a, a, a family and so i went through a phase where i wanted to do some orthopedics and then i remember this, this i remember rotating and and almost uh, falling asleep in like a 18 like eight hour spine surgery i was like it's crazy but the day that interventional radiology really popped into my head was and and i mentioned to you, this to you ryan i'm i'm a you know, my parents are physicians, so I had some exposure to medicine growing up. But I remember I was in third year surgical rotation and was interested, obviously, trying to do well. And um, <laughs> I remember it was a Saturday and I was on call. And the, there was this intern, and I was deciding to help her on the floor, and I didn't scrub into a Whipple. And, and I remember I got chewed out at the end of that day. But I remember during that that day, I went to see, you know, a family friend who happened to be called in for a pulmonary arteriogram. And, you know, he does the study. I see these, like, you know, this great like, pulmonary vasculature lineup. I'm like, that's cool. I want to do that. <laughs> you know, like, it was a quick case. It was done, you know, in a few minutes. I was like, or do I want to be standing there for, like, 12 hours watching a Whipple where I couldn't see anything? And I remember that <laughs> evening, like, this chief resident came out. He's like, you, I can't believe you didn't show up. It's not my responsibility to, you know, to babysit you. Know, I'm like, I don't need to be like the sixth person in the case where I can't see a darn thing. So and I was like, but look at that IR thing. That's cool. So I, at that point, I was really, really considering the two, uh, orthopedics or radiology with a full intention of going into interventional if I did radiology. Um, and so that was kind of the, the moment that clicked that said, you know, this is cool. You get to do different procedures, short, you know, relatively short procedures that make a difference. And, you know, you don't leave a whole mark and a big scar and, and, and you're done and people are happy. 
So I think that was an area that I, that I really thought about doing that. And, and as I went through residency, I said, you know, this, this really could be something I could live with and do. What traits do you think lead to being a good interventional radiologist? So, you know, the reason that I feel that, that you know, there's, there are obviously turf battles in radiology and in, in interventional. Um, but I think what makes us really successful at doing great interventional radiology is, one, knowing the imaging. Two, problem solving. Because a lot of what I do, you know, aside from the bread and butter is a lot of problem solving. There may not, there may be defined pathways to do certain things, but if they don't go as planned, then you have to improvise a lot. You may not have the tool you want. You may not have the catheter you exactly wish you had, and you have to kind of figure out how to uh, accomplish your goal um, using the tools that you have, and. You, we, you know, a joke during our fellowship, uh, I did my fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania, but w- one of the jokes was IR is the last name in the chart. You know, it's like everybody's like, wash their hands, surgery, no, you can't do this, too high risk, call IR, you know, <laughs> and IR is the ones <laughs> that often can help. So, you know, maybe a surgeon is feeling a, you know, real joke that they just don't want to, but, you know, maybe a surgeon is feeling a patient's too high risk for a gall, you know, cholecystectomy. Well, you know what? We'll put a tube in it. There's an abscess. Well, too high risk to go to the OR. Too much, you know, trouble to go to the OR. We drain it. You know, we can put filters in. We do our, you know, arterial work. We do biliary work. We do oncologic work. We do spine work. So we kind of have our hands in a whole bunch of different places, but I think problem solving and, um, you know, Thinking outside the box, those are good traits to have for radiology. And then, and then you need to know your anatomy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I would assume so. Right. That's what? actually, I wish, I wish we had that in our medical school training, which I'm sure they are now using cross-sectional imaging a lot more. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd actually love to take anatomy again. And now, knowing what I do from reading CTs, <laughs> MRs, plain films, things like that, I think I'd get a whole lot more out of it. <laughs> what types of patients are you treating? So we treat, um, we can treat younger, healthier patients that we might see for something as simple like venous access, like a, like a pick. Um, we may see uh, younger women who may have, you know, heavy menstrual bleeding due to fibroids. So we do uterine artery embolization. We treat veins, you know, for cosmetic and medical reasons in the legs. So vein ablation and sclerotherapy. We treat older patients that may have spinal fractures for vertebroplasty or kyphoplasty. We treat a lot of oncologic patients, and that's kind of branching off into its whole own sub or super specialty of interventional oncology, where we treat um, hepatic tumors with radioembolization, chemoembolization, uh, radio, radio frequency or microwave ablation, where we just burn or freeze tumors with cryoablation. So we see kind of we see the full spectrum of patients who are younger and healthier to older and very very sick. Describe a typical day for you. So my my practice right now is a little bit uh, is is probably less uh, hardcore interventional than I'd like. So you have to realize there are a lot of patients, a lot of places that where you're doing you know a private practice job where you're doing bread and butter. So bread and butter for us would be paracentesis, thoracentesis, chest port placement for chemo, um, 
various biopsies, uh, you know, vertebral kyphoplasty for spinal fractures. Um, in this, in my latest practice, I've gotten into, you know, a lot of the pain management. So I'll do epidural steroid injections, things like that. You know, lumbar punctures, myelograms, but, you know, that's a typical day for me. Interspersed with, in between, I'm trying to read um, diagnostic imaging, um, which is, you know, a wide variety of cases. I mean, today I did, wasn't a real interventional day, but I did, you know, paracentesis, I did a thoracentesis, I had to do some fluoroscopy, I did um, a couple of breast biopsies and, you know, red PET scans. So, um, yeah, that was a mix. Uh, other days I could be doing a lot more, you know, nephrostomies, biliary drainage, um, kyphoplasties, and we're trying to ramp up our oncologic work at, in this the new group I'm in. So we're doing some ablations and radioembolization, things like that, that are just kind of starting to pick up now. So kind of, you know, that that's the other thing that's nice is that your day, it's not like very repetitive of doing the same thing. You've kind of got a lot of different things. So even if you're a little ADD, <laughs> you can find stuff that's good because you're not. It's not monotonous. On the flip side, we do some very heavy-duty cases, like something like a tips, which doesn't come up that often. But you know, those can be, you know, those can be cases that are longer. But I think as a medical student, it's hard. I remember being in like a you know four or five-hour case and being bored out of my mind. But I've now done my own three or four hour cases. And when you're focused and you're doing something, the time actually goes by much quicker. <laughs> yeah, when it's not passive and you're just standing there watching. Right, correct. Yeah, that's good. I didn't ask you, are you in a community-based setting or academic? Yes, community-based setting. Okay. So I have practiced in academic settings and th- those are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a community, I'm in community hospital. Okay. As, as an IR doc, do you have to take a lot of call? Um, so yeah, so my group, um, we have four interventionalists, so we're, we're on call about every, every fourth. Um, I have been in situation, you know, an academic major, you know, when I was at Penn, you were on like every 11th. So you're on like once per quarter, um, for a weekend and, you know, random days here and there. Um, you know, it depends really on how, what the practice is set up as we, we have several hospitals that are spread out quite a bit. So, um, you know, we don't have one per, you know, we kind of have one, we try to keep one person at each place, um, day to day. So I think there's a flip side. The, if you want to do more interventional and, and you have a practice that can support more interventional, then you may have to take more call, you know, unless, um, let's rephrase that. If there's not enough for, two or three people to do full-time interventional, then the more interventional you want to do, the more call you have to take because you can't divide it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in our practice, you know, it's not it's not full-time interventional all the time. So, um, you know, I suppose we could do it if I bounced between facilities during the middle of the day, but then I'd be on call a lot more. So, yeah, yeah I... Um, we, we do about every fourth. I think I think every third to every fourth is pretty standard. And when and, you say and, third or fourth, you're, are you talking about days or weekends? So I take I take I take call a week at a time. Okay. And my call starts on like a Monday and goes through, you know, till the following Monday morning. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been in I've been in various different settings. When I was at at Penn, we typically did a day and then we took the weekend. Um, 
some other practice, a lot of them, unless you're super busy, tend to do um, weeks just for ease, ease and scheduling. Mm-hmm. But if you have practice that's very busy and you're called in a lot during the middle of the night, then you'll probably do, um, you know, you'd probably be doing a, 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 day, a you know, day at a time if you're okay. called in a lot. Do you think IR gives you good work-life balance? So it's hard. I think that's a tough question. Um, you know, as reimbursements have fallen, um, IR typically does not generate as much income for the practice as, you know, I will never generate as much money. I will probably not generate as much money as the guy who can sit down and bang through MRIs and CTs nonstop for hours on end. They will generate more RVUs mm. than I will. Um, I think, you know, I think it's like managing expectations. Um, if you want to just go in there and punch a clock and get out, then you're probably better being a diagnostic radiologist. If you want to, and then there are other options, you know, there are non-traditional options like um, these outpatient vascular access centers and things like that, where they're doing dialysis interventions um, or peripheral arterial, they, a lot of those have pretty regular hours and, and you can do or veins and your work-life balance can be great. Um, my, mine is pretty good. I gotta say, I, you know, typically start work at around eight o'clock and we're usually done by four thirty, four forty-five. So I don't think that's unreasonable. I mean, we're, we're working hard while we're there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then weekend, if you take diagnostic call, the diagnostic call is brutal, but you know, my interventional call is not that bad. Um, it's okay. It's not, it's not, I think it's, like I said, it's managing expectations. Yeah. I think that if you want to do what people call the cool cases, then yeah, you might have more complications. You might get called in the middle of the night for like a GI bleed. But if not, you know, if you're doing bread and butter cases, you know, you're, it's pretty fine. I don't don't think it's horrible. It's going to be worse than a diagnostic radiologist in terms of, you know, you're not going to be called, you will be called in the middle of the night as an interventionalist potentially. Whereas the diagnostic guy, probably not. Yeah. What does a residency path look like for to, to get to IR residency and fellowship and everything? So they're changing. Um, when I, you know, um, back in probably the mid-90s, there was a, a time in which they did not require internship to go into radiology, go right into radiology. And then that changed, and I think, around 1995. And they, they mandated, you know, so there were programs that required it and some that didn't, and then everybody required it. So Right now, radiology, typically, the traditional pathway is a year of internship, and that could be surgery, medicine, pathology, transitional, pretty much anything, pediatrics. And then you do four years of diagnostic radiology, and then typically a one-year interventional fellowship. Um, that's a, it's like a six-year thing. Now, there, are some, there, there was a plan called the direct pathway, which was stood for the diagnostic and interventional radiology enhanced clinical tract. And those people did some surgical years. Then they kind of did a, a mixture. They spent some time on surgery even during the radiology residency, and the fellowship was kind of included. And um, so that was there. But that is going away in favor of a pure IR residency right now. And as more and more... Um, programs go towards that, you will match into interventional radiology directly from medical school. And that will include more time, um, more clinical time that will have, I think, more time on surgery. You'll do some critical care months and things like that, as well as 
they will cut down the diagnostic time a little bit and increase the interventional time. So ultimately, you'll have more time on interventional, more clinical time, and a little less diagnostic time. So that's the new paradigm. Uh, you know, I think that's evolving very, very quickly and, and more and more programs. I think the first set of programs were just approved like last year. So I think they're just starting. So you won't see those people out for like six, seven years now. What are your thoughts on that shift? I mean, I think it's, I think it's great for somebody who loves to do interventional. Um, for, I think, the private practices, I'm not sure how that's going to work. Um, I have some reservations. I think a lot of these, a lot of these um, plans are put into place by academics, and academics is a really different setup than private practice. So if you have hardcore people who are really interested in doing just interventional, um, it's going to be tough for a private practice that doesn't have a ton of interventional to, to hire those, those sort of people because they're not going to be as versatile. So um, in, a, in a huge practice, I think that'd be great. In a not huge practice, it remains to be seen. I don't know how that will work. Um, I think the new model, though, as more and more interventionalists do this, is to will be setting up your own practice, just as a surgeon would, just as a cardiologist would, just as whatever you know, whatever whoever would, and then you bring your you know you see patients clinically and you bring them to a hospital or an ambulatory surgery center, freestanding center, whatever to do that. And it's hard to tell because it's a moving target, yeah. so um, hard to tell. But I think that um, that's that's probably what we're going to end up with um, okay. right now. I think that's where I see it. So I, you know, I think as, as you, you, but, but in order to compete, you can't have the old model of just sitting there waiting for procedures to come to you. You have to market, you have to go, you have to evaluate patients, you have to write notes and do consults and send them back, which is not what some of the older guys are used to. Yeah. Is matching competitive for interventional radiology? Um, so it went through phases. There were, there were times where nobody wanted to go into interventional. Um, there were times where jobs were plentiful and incomes were extremely high and people just said, forget it, I, I want to go with the, you know, what they thought was an easier pathway. And then I think as the job market tightened a little bit, more and more interest started happening in, in interventional because it's very hard to be outsourced. And uh, people en enjoyed doing procedures as well as you had crossovers of people who said, you know, maybe... Pure surgery wasn't for them, but they liked this aspect, and people came into the direct pathway, and um, it, it has been now. So over the last couple of years, incredibly competitive, to the point of fellowships are are you know people are not matching for interventional fellowships. So yes, it's gotten quite competitive. What do you think makes a competitive applicant to IR? Um, you know, I haven't been on the on the selection committee in, in years, but. We, when, when I was on the committee at Penn and I interviewed, you want somebody who is a hard worker. They have to, the, the, um, our mentality when, when we were fellows was, uh, and for my section chief at that time, Shrotola, and, you know, he said, you have to say yes almost all the time. And if you say yes all the time and then you say no, then people respect your opinion, like you're not trying to block things and you just have to be available, right? 
So the same thing, a fellow can has to expect, especially if you're looking for fellowship or even residency, you want to have, you want to be looking to kind of get your butt kicked for a while <laughs> so that you are ready to handle everything that comes at you. Because like we, like we touched that, you have to be innovative. You have to do problem solving. And if you've seen something that's kind of remotely like that, you might say, hey, this is how I get out of that mess. So I think you have to be, let's see, to, to, to be a really good interventionalist, you, you, like I said you, in the beginning, you need to know the imaging, right? So that's what's going to make you better than somebody else. Um, you need to um, be clinical. You need to um, be willing to constantly learn new things. And um, you also have to, I think, you know, a good person who's in training has to understand there's a lot you don't know and it will take you a while. So just take in what you can and then kind of learn as you go afterwards. It took me probably a good few years before I was really, really feeling comfortable. I remember I started my job in New York City, and, and it was like a year, maybe a year or two later, somebody says, like, you know, you've really gotten a lot faster doing what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, once you kind of settle in, you got your zone, that's fine. You know, I don't necessarily believe that scores tell everything. I know that's, that's unfortunately used as a weeding, weeding tool. I don't necessarily think that's the... The, the one thing that can do it. And I'm sure that the people who are hearing this or, and they're looking at radiology are getting a lot more higher scores than I did back in the day. But, yep. um, you know, I think those are, those are just one tool, but I don't think those should be the only tool. I mean, obviously you want to do as, as well as you can. Yeah. Um, somebody who's going to do well in a, in a radiology or interventional, it's like I said, it's not just the imaging, but no, no, the anatomy, the anatomy is going to serve you well. Would you say it's very uh, research-heavy? Um, maybe as it gets really competitive. I went to a program that was not super, like, it wasn't a priority. But when you're, when you're looking at some of the giant programs that are very research-heavy, it depends what your ultimate goal is. If your goal is to be an academic and do a lot of research and publish, then you need to look for a program that's going to cultivate and nurture that. If you are looking at more, you want to do, be a worker bee or workhorse, then you want somewhere where you're going to get a lot more clinical training. And I remember one of the places I was at, I was walking, one of the residents was walking by and was all nervous. And it's like, oh, I was like, why? What's, what's going on? And the resident's like, you know, I got a myelogram today. I'm like, all right, why? I mean, is the cervical that got you nervous? I'm like, no, 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 it's lumbar, but I haven't done a lumbar puncture. And this is like a fourth-year resident, right? Wow. Like fourth-year resident. I mean, I was doing lumbar punctures by myself in like the middle of my second, first year. Yeah. So it's it's very different if if you're looking to if you're especially if you're someone who's interested in interventional and you don't and you have the opportunity. You know, when I when I worked at Penn, um, we had residents on the service, and you know our service was so busy that the residents actually got to do a lot. On the flip side, when I was a resident at Dartmouth there really were very, very few fellows. So you got to do a ton as a resident. <laughs> so it's, it's nice if you have a very resident-centric program when you're a resident and then a very fellow-heavy program when you're a fellow. So, um, and then you get the best of both worlds. 
So, I, you know, I think research is important. Research will help the interventionalists. And as, you know, people listening to us probably know, I mean, a lot of a lot of procedures were pioneered by radiologists. And unfortunately, as they get more commonplace, more routine, and, you know, lucrative, then other, other specialties start snipping away at it. And, mm-hmm. You know, we're kind of, then, you, then you're fighting turf battles. So that is one thing that you will feel in interventional is that there are there are a lot of turf battles so okay. there are not a lot of people fighting to do the craniotomy <laughs> for the neurosurgeon but there are a lot of people who might be fighting to do a an angiogram for example a cerebral angiogram might be done by an interventional radiologist might be done by a vascular surgeon might be done by some neurologists and neurosurgeons so mm-hmm. that's just one example do you see any bias between or bias towards DOs in interventional radiology? Um, I don't know if there's a huge bias. I, you know, I, I see it's there. So I, I, I worked in New York at a hospital that had a radiology residency program, and it was a DO program. So it, it, I, 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 I would always joke with them about it. And, you know, be like, oh, you DOs, you know, you elitist DOs, because like, the MDs <laughs> couldn't go into the, the DO programs, right? Yep. And the DOs could go into the MD program. We used to joke about it. I, you know, I don't know if it's overt, but um, there wa- there has been a talk in our, um, actually, in one of my practices where somebody was looking at maybe bringing another person on. They're like, his only problem is that he's a DO. And I, you know, I. I don't see the bias, but I think the bias is there for some other some other people. Mm-hmm. So I've worked with a ton of DOs, and they were fine. You know, I mean, there was no, I mean, there's no difference. I mean, clearly, the, nobody's doing the manipulation on on radiology patients. <laughs> so um, I don't think it really matters in that. Um, and I think there's some specialties where maybe it's better, like maybe orthopedics, maybe PMNR, like yep. do, do, you know, some primary care. Like manipulation may actually help there, but. Um, I don't see any any tough any you know distinct like bias, but you know now as things get you know more competitive, maybe a little bit you know I don't know whether I you know, but that doesn't mean stop you know go yeah. for it. Okay. My 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 feeling would be that if if you had the option, if the DO had the option of just doing an allopathic residency and going through all the training and certification that way, it'd just be easier than dealing with their whole, whole osteopathic board of radiology. But mm-hmm. I don't think it truly matters. Okay. You mentioned a few things earlier, I believe, but as an interventional radiologist, what opportunities are there to subspecialize? So, so, I mean, you have to have enough volume to do it, right? So, um, some interventionalists do would like to do more peripheral arterial, and that's always contentious because vascular surgeons have gotten involved, cardiologists are trying to chomp at that. Um, everybody kind of wants to do it because they think it's like the cool, sexy thing. Reimbursement can be very, very high in some of those procedures, so people are kind of jumping on that. Um, so peripheral arterial can can be there. Some people are to the point of where they you know work with vascular surgeons. Some people have even joined vascular practices. Um, the big thing right now is interventional oncology. That's what everybody wants to get into. So radioembolization, all sorts of stuff. Learning the chemo's, learning the um, various uh, regimens. Those can all be important. So. I think that's uh, 
those are those those are opportunities. Some people can do neurointerventional. Um, neurointerventional typically requires a neuroradiology fellowship um, and then neuro IR. But some people are getting involved in, like, for example, stroke intervention, and then there is some overlap between neurointervention and, and IR, uh, like spine work. Um, but those are really uh, you, you can do a pediatric interventional fellowship as well. So um, they're kind of opportunities, different opportunities. Okay. But but I think most, unless you're at a major academic center, you're not going to be an IO guy. You're going to be you're going to do. You're going to have interest in IO, but interventional oncology. But you're probably going to do other stuff as well. Okay. What do you wish? Assuming you interact with a lot of primary care physicians, what do you wish they knew about your job to allow you to help them better? So that's an interesting question, right? We talked about clinical, um, clinical IR not uh, waiting for people to refer to you. And that really means not waiting for, I'm, I, I take that to be not waiting for a vascular surgeon, a cardiologist, somebody else to refer to me. And let's take, let's take example of peripheral arterial disease. For peripheral vascular disease, the people who have been very successful have marketed to primary care physicians. They market to family practice. They market to internal medicine. They market to um to podiatrists who may be seeing a lot of venous disease or arterial disease, right? I don't know if they all understand exactly what we do. And it's been a problem for interventional radiologists. Like they don't know just what services we can offer. Okay. So for example, I put in a lot of chest ports. I put in hundreds of chest ports and I think I do it probably faster and you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think <laughs> the interventional radiologists probably put them in better than the surgeons sometimes. Like we, I think we have evidence behind it. We we choose our venous, you know, our site of access better. Our ports, I think, have a lower malfunctioning rate. And but even even all things being equal, I can do it faster, probably cheaper, and and like get the patients in faster because I don't have to worry about OR time. I can put them in the IR suite, right? Mm -hmm. So when that interventional, when that person calls and needs a paracentesis, thoracentesis, you know, we do more than just that. We do biopsies. We do spine interventions. We do peripheral arterial. We do biliary stuff. We do like some stuff that traditionally would be thought of as a surgical procedure. And I just don't, you know, and I think the hospitalists and people now get, are getting what IR can offer. But, you know, fibroid embolization, venous disease, um, all those sorts of things can be, you know, or we do enteric feeding. So, you know, we can put gastrostomies in. So all these things can be done. And so those, I wish, I wish that um, what can be frustrating is you can sometimes feel as a backup. And it, you don't want the, the gastrostomy that, the surgeons and the GI guy has turned down or, Oh, can you take care of this? Because it's Friday afternoon and we don't, you know, we can't find somebody else to do it. It would be nice to let, if you have a great relationship between the primary physician and the IR guy, just call it like, we can help you with probably most anything you need. <laughs> and especially because we have, have uh, knowledge of the imaging, you know, we can help you with an imaging test that would help you and we can probably do a lot. So, 
you know, if you ever ever have any question, I think check what they're doing because you might be surprised what what the interventionalists can do for you to help you out. What other specialties do you work closest with? Um, so oncology is probably number one um, these days. Um, we do, um, and in my particular practice, we do a lot with um, like pain management and, and orthopedics too, because we do a lot. We know we do myelograms, we do kyphoplasty, vertebroplasty, we do epidural steroid injections, things like that. Um, I'd say that, hospitalists hospital slash critical care, um, and uh, oncology. And so those are, those are probably three of the most. Now, my practice really doesn't have any peripheral arterial disease, so you know, we don't see vascular surgery and all that. But back in the day, I, I always questioned whether they were kind of more the uh, competition. But I think the, 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 the best way would be an alliance between vascular surgery and, and radiology and interventional and, you know, I think they're kind of competing against cardiology. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, I don't know if you saw, there's an article maybe two months ago in the last month or two about um, thoughts of merging diagnostic radiology and pathology into one specialty, um, which was interesting. And there was, the argument was made that given that a lot of that is pattern recognition for the diagnostic guys, that potentially those should be handled by computers and that mm. the physician should be involved in management more. That was a very interesting thing. If you could dig, those listening to the podcast should dig that up. I don't think that's actually happening, but it was an interesting argument. I'll bring it up here just because you just did. And even though your IR and even though you do some diagnostic radiology, I think it might be better suited for a, a, a strictly diagnostic radiologist, yes. but I, I, so, so I'm a, a computer nerd at heart and, right. and I believe that within 20 years, radiologists are going to be replaced with AI right? for so diagnostic think, purposes, for just for plain reading purposes. films. So we do, you, you know, we do that computer aided detection for like, for like mammo, right? We mm -hmm. have it. Um, I think at the pace that it's it's happening, it, it is kind of um, it, it it could it could be scary, right? Um, I don't know whether it'll come that fast, but I mean, look where we are with self-driving cars and all; it's coming pretty fast, right? Yep. So, I think that some of the technology is there, but I think what's important is the what the computer is just not there yet, and it'll it may come. It's I think the computer is very black and white. Um, there's a lot of gray zone. So I think some of that just, we're just not there yet mm -hmm. and it may come, but I think if someone, if, if a computer is able to at least highlight findings that are of questionable significance and then let somebody go through it, that's fine. I mean, I think that's, that, that, that would be very, very helpful in a lot of ways. You know, you could, it could, it could speed through, you know, when we do a CTE, of like the chest, abdomen, pelvis, and with reconstructions, you can be talking fifteen hundred images. Mm -hmm. You know, if a computer can zip through those in like thirty seconds, if not less, and flag the what would be thought of as as you know questionable findings, that could help us do our job a lot faster. And similarly, you know, a lot of it is pattern recognition. If you can, you know, you realize if you had the brain power of just about every you know 
radiologists, even including like some high-powered academics, <laughs> p- plugging things in like this to get to get a, a Watson-level thing going. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if if it's going to detect a lot. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting thing. Someone who may be more involved in that and definitely talk to a diagnostic person. But I think in that way, that's where the interventionist has a little bit more because I, yep. you know. I don't yet see a robot doing my entire job for me. Not yet. At least for at least for a while. Yeah, a self-driving <laughs> robot. The the doctor's driving the robot sometimes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. So I you know I mean you know IR does not have robotics um, in, in it so much yet yeah. like you know the surgery and all that but I just read an article about even there's something that's going to replace this Da Vinci robot for like one tenth the cost or something like wow. that. And can bring, yeah, and it's going to happen, right? I mean, it's just technology. It'll come down, like your TV or whatever. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come get cheaper and faster and better. Okay. Very cool side tangent there. What, yeah. um, are, are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine or, or interventional radiology type medicine for interventional radiologists? Like, are IR docs more likely to go into administration or some other weird aspect of medicine? Well, here's one interesting thing that I, I, one of my former partners told me. He's like, I guarantee you, if you showed me, if you showed my picture around the hospital, he said, I bet you like 90% of the people would know who I am. He's like, I bet you if I showed a picture of one of the diagnostic radiologists who happens to be like very fast at reading musculoskeletal and things like that, it would be the opposite. So I think the radio, radiologists, I think, have a unique opportunities we interact with a lot of specialties so we're known in the hospital we may not be out socializing all the time because we're busy um and that can be a frustrating thing about radiology you know, we talked about like lifestyle you know it can be intense for while you're there you know we don't have a typical like primary care office we're shut down for lunch we close early on fridays i mean it's all the time 24 7 but the interventionalists i think can be very very strong in administration because we provide essential care often at off hours you know we're the ones making sure things get done so that discharge happens you know workup is completed etc um and so i think we do have a, a, a good seat at the table um there can tends to be some clashing between diagnostic and interventional it can be in practices because you know they say you know you're not bringing the revenue i'm not bringing the revenue but i think really and genuinely, and I've heard this from diagnostic people as well, the IR guys are somewhat somewhat of the anchor for the group in the hospital because they're providing a lot of that coverage that can't be outsourced easily. So I think, um, yes, there are opportunities to get in administration. I think that's where it's most important to not sit there and wait for things to come to you. It's important to be out there somewhat marketing yourself, being available, getting your face shown so people know who you are. Um, and, and getting up there. And yeah, I mean, I think, um, and you know, there, there are opportunities in industry. I think if you, if you are in academics and doing high volume of something, then yes, you can get consulting things with, with, uh, industry or, you know, some people have branched out and gone into industry. What do you wish you knew before going into interventional radiology? Um, I think I would have liked to be a little bit, um, one, as we touched on when we were talking prior to the podcast about um, it, it, 
the ability to, you know, you have, um, what's it called? The, you know, being required to have, uh, beholden to a hospital, right? I think that opportunities are getting greater because as people are opening up independent centers, et cetera, that those things can, can help. Um, but yes, you are reliant upon a hospital for a contract. Now, one of the difficult things with radiology and interventional, and particularly in interventional, as people break off and form their own interventional practices, is that the model for radiology is typically with an exclusive contract. So the diagnostic, the, the group may have an exclusive contract in the hospital. So the IR guy, even if you just came, say, new to a city, hung out your shingle, wanted to do, you know, interventional. You know, you got to, one, get enrolled with all the insurers, which is a nightmare. <laughs> but two, you might not be able to find a place to do your procedures because the, the, the radiology group in the hospital may block you from getting any privileges there. Whereas for the same procedure, and I come back to peripheral arterial just because it's easy. But if, you want, if I want to bring a peripheral arterial case into the hospital and do the case, they'll block me from doing it because they say we have an exclusive contract. Yet the cardiologist or the vascular surgeon who does the same thing and wants to come and do the hospital, they can come in. <laughs> so that is one thing I wish I knew um, a little bit. Two, um, I wish I knew, you know, that you recognize a little bit more the, the difficulties in interaction between the diagnostic and interventional guys, because they have to realize that, that in order to build a good clinical practice, you do need some clinical time. And it can be very hard for the diagnostic guys to re to see that and fund that time because they may see that that's not really, no, they're like, well, why would you take a half hour seeing a patient? You could be reading three CT scans in that much time and make much more money. But they have to realize that 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 builds your, your credibility, that brings downstream revenue from the MRs and CTs that you may order for them, et cetera. So th those things could be a little bit tough. Um, and three, I guess, that there are options to do some of the interventional stuff, not through an interventional radiology residency or fellowship, but there are other fields that are kind of chomping at your toes. But I think that that makes you, that keeps you good, that keeps you on your toes, that keeps you fresh and, and doing th and innovative. So it can be a good thing and a bad thing. What do you like the most about being an interventional radiologist? Um. I like helping people with through, you know, they can be through tough times. Um, uh, you know, often you're seeing them when they're at their sickest. And I think our, our ability to, to help them, you know, if it's a, something as simple as draining an abscess, right, that can stink and be nasty, but you can see somebody get better so fast, right? I like that we, you know, um, I like that when I do my procedures for the most part, um, I can calm somebody down, you know, I'll say, listen, I can, I can do most of my procedures under local. Um, but even with a little bit of sedation, I love being able to say done. And they're like, that's it. Like we thought you were just barely getting started. And, you know, with barely a mark, um, I've done my thing. I've been where I needed to be, gotten my pieces, put in a port, done whatever I need to. And I get out with minimal, <laughs> minimal, uh, residual <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's fun. Now, I would love to expand my practice, and I hope to get into, um, there's a whole cosmetic side of IR. Um, I'd like to get more in oncology. I'd like to expand a little bit more, and I think I have the support of my group 
um, some of the diagnostic guys in my group are forward thinking enough that say, listen, if you get to the point where you're so busy that you don't have time to read another diagnostic study, we'll be thrilled. I'm like, great. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, that those are the best things. And, you know, when I treat vertebral compression fractures, patients that are sprawled on the floor, not willing to, you know, can't move, are getting up like my back pain is gone. Or the person who comes in eight out of 10 pain gets an epidural steroid and they're like, I have no pain, I'm getting up. But I'm like, that's great. You know, those, those are the most gratifying, I think. Good. What do you like the it's least? Nice least, um, kind of getting dumped on. <laughs> so, <laughs> we um, explain which, what that we, means. So, um, you know, we do like, for example, I can remember I was at a place where we were doing a lot of dialysis work. And, you know, the vascular surgeons like to do the easiest, easy cases. And then if it was like a clotted access, they would say, okay, radiology, do that. Or, um, you know, we had one guy who would be like, oh, you know, the cases were running late and he wanted to leave town. So he'd be like, you know, switch over, let those guys do it. <laughs> so I think, you know, you would see like when I was a fellow, you'd, you would do thrombolysis for arterial disease and, and you know, an occluded graft and, you know, we wouldn't see them until Friday afternoon, which meant, you know, you started on Friday afternoon, you came in Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, Sunday, you know, and it, it was tough. Um, I feel like in my current practice, we have a situation where like there are, you know, you have other specialties that have built their own imaging equipment and they basically siphon off the good stuff and then dump some of the other stuff on the, on the hospital. So it's uh, that can be frustrating, but you can't let it get to you. I mean, I think in general, a lot of radiologists are happy um, doing what they do. I think you can always find a niche, um, you know. So if you want to be just doing a lot of venous access and biopsies, and you're happy with that level of interventional, you can do that. If you want to really go aggressive and market yourself and get the oncologic work or arterial work or you know cosmetic work, whatever vein work, you can do that too. So, um, being a little bit of a dumping ground can be frustrating, but I think if you keep it in perspective, it's still pretty good. <laughs> if you had to choose a specialty all over again, would you still choose IR? Uh, so that's a tough one. Um, I actually, I don't, I don't know a hundred percent cause I think I can get do do some of the stuff I did I do without. I actually like the neuro stuff and the spine stuff a lot. So I wonder whether I could have done something like neurosurgery. Although I don't know. I mean that 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 is a brutal residency and, and lifestyle even after you're done. Um, and I I actually very strongly considered play, like plastic surgery because I actually I'm actually meticulous about my pores. I like the wounds to look just right, and then I kind of like the artistic side of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> plastics so um it, I, it would still be up there but my frustrations are really um the things i find tough are things that i really can't change unless i wanted to get very entrepreneurial and it could be you know it, it could be very risky um to like for example set up my own access center or vascular center and, and try to market that um I have a buddy who's doing that, and he said it's it's been like a year and a half, and it's, it's, he's still struggling a lot. He's like, it's coming, but it's it, it's very hard to yeah. in practice building mode. And I think that may be a function of where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're in a very competitive area, I mean, I, I've lived in New York City, I've lived in Philadelphia, I've lived in you know Atlanta. Atlanta's very 
kind of who you know. So trying to break into that can be very, very difficult. On the flip side, if you chose maybe a smaller town, I grew up in Buffalo. I bet you it'd be easier to, to get something like that going in a place like Buffalo where it's, um, you know, you, you know, less hyper competitive. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, I, I think I would probably, I like a lot of what I do. Um, but the other, some parts can be very, very frustrating. And it's, the frustration, like I said, is, is the, the exclusive contracts and being beholden to a hospital, mm-hmm. you know, and, and always worried. I mean, I think we have, and, and some of our worries is the diagnostic side of things, right? Because everybody's so worried about diagnostic contract that they worry about, you know, <laughs> keeping that. So you kind of have to bend over backwards to please the hospital um, because you're worried. I think as an IR who would break off and practice independently, I don't think that would be there. So I think some of my difficulties or, or problems with it, I think, would be gone under a new model where you know two or three interventionalists get together and have essentially a surgical practice and say, "We would like to bring you cases. You know, can you help us with that?" And you know, not have a group that basically blocks you from being in the hospital. So I think, and I think over the next 10 years or so, you're going to see that more and more. I think some of these exclusive contracts will fall and you're going to get that model a little bit more. Any last words of wisdom for the medical student or even pre-med thinking about IR? It'd be my, it would be my um, advice for any specialty. Um, do what you like. Don't try to chase it because you think that there will be a job or not have a job afterwards. Um, you know, especially if it's a subspecialty like radiology, and you know, there's time where people are all going into mammography because of that. But if you don't like it, don't do it. Two, try to spend a little bit of time with somebody in that field if you can, or at least talk to them and see what their life is really like. You know, it's it may not be, you know, ultra sexy what you see on 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 uh, you know in a high powered academic center. Three, just you know, in, and see what life is like. You know, after is it something that that you feel like you could deal with? Is are you going to be the type who can be up and you know wide awake and being able to focus to do like a GI bleed embolization at two a.m. Or are you somebody, you know, that can't function like that? So I think really figuring out what the, what the life is like day to day. Um, to realize that a lot of practices may not be all high-powered cases all the time. And, uh, yeah, and then spend a little bit of time with somebody if they can, you know, and just read about it. I mean, I think now there's so much interactive stuff. You can, you know, even see stuff on YouTube. You can see, I mean, this is all new. This wasn't there when I was looking. Or listen to a um, podcast. Or listen to a podcast, right? <laughs> like I said, you know, I saw a pulmonary arteriogram, and that was a family friend. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. You know, he was doing the case. I'm like, that's really cool. I want to do that. So, you know, some, some things like that can, can click. And, you know, when I, was a, when I was a fellow, we had a kind of one of our talks with our section chief. And he's like, listen, you're going to have to... And this all happened to, in, in every field. Like this was just in specific looking for a job. He's like, listen, you're going to have to weigh money, time off, location, case mix, you know, which I could say is day-to-day, like what you're going to be doing, things like that. And all those together will 
potentially, you know, you have to find the best mix. You are not going to get a job that gives you a ton of time off, pays you a ton of money. You're doing great cases and you're in like the best location ever, you know? (laughs) So you kind of have to like, you know, adjust those dials to or switches to, you know, levels to where you can live with something and say, this is good Two, realize there's no perfect job (laughs) ever, no matter what people think. Three, don't let people tell you no. Uh, you know, if you want to do it, then find a way to do it and, and you know, give it a shot. Um, but yeah, so I think that's, that's, those are the things I would, I would give you as advice. All right. So there you have it. That was Fayaz, an interventional radiologist in Atlanta, Georgia, community interventional radiologist, sharing his thoughts, his path to interventional radiology and what you should be looking at if you are interested in interventional radiology. So obviously interventional radiology, as he talked about, is becoming its own residency program, which is awesome. Typically, again, the the normal path through regular radiology and then a fellowship. Uh, But uh, I will have a regular, quote-unquote, regular uh, diagnostic radiologist on to talk about their career as well to give you a broad idea of what each of these specialists are doing. So I hope this helped firm up some things in your mind if you are thinking about interventional radiology as a career. If there is a specialty out there that you would like me to talk about sooner rather than later, or if you know somebody that you think would make a great guest on this podcast, reach out to me, Ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Until then, have a great week and continue enjoying this journey as you are going through medical school, or even if you are pre-med, enjoy the journey. I think too often we worry about that end goal in mind and the specialty and, and practicing and everything else, and we forget to enjoy the journey. So enjoy the journey, and we'll see you next week here on the Specialty Stories.